How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. On this episode, I sat down with Ellen Severe, only instead of me asking her questions, she turned the tables and I was the guest. Um, We did this in celebration of one year of Hey Human Podcast. It launched in July of 2016. And it's been an incredible experience. It's growing exponentially. Uh, It's so wonderful. I've met the coolest, most fascinating people. Um, Yeah, it's been quite a ride so far. I I can't wait for the year that's coming. Um, So yeah, Ellen and I sat down at my kitchen table and she asked me questions that she came up with. And then as well, um, she asked me questions that people had, had sent in to ask me. So, um, yeah, it was fun. It's a little weird, you know, also. And, uh, but I, I enjoyed it. I I had a good time with Ellen. We always laugh. Um, so I, I hope you enjoy it and, uh, keep spreading the word. We're growing so much. It's crazy. Um, it is, it's spreading like wildfire, which is wonderful. And I don't know, those of you who are in Nashville, the contributor, uh, newspaper, just did an article about uh, national podcasts that are making uh, national podcasts that are making national waves. Um, was the name of the article? It was the cover story, and I'm one of the podcasts that is in there. So, or my podcast is one of the podcasts. I myself am a human, not a podcast, but you get what I'm saying. It was super cool. I was very very excited. Um, as usual, uh, please go to iTunes and rate and review. Subscribe. You can subscribe on your Android phones or your um, iOS phones, your your Mac phones or Apple phones. Sorry. Um, and what else? On the website on HeyHumanPodcast.com, there's little buttons that you can subscribe there as well. Um, I'll throw some links up for me, I guess. Things that I don't know. I mean, it seems silly. I know, but every every episode I put up links at HeyHumanPodcast.com. And this episode will be no different. Um, I'm not sure what I'm going to put up there, but I will put something. And yeah, as usual too, you can reach me at Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. And I'm on social media, HeyHumanPodcast. That's on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter, which we all know how I feel about trying to maintain Twitter. I'm good at my Susan Ruthism Twitter, sort of. I'm sort of good at it. I'm better than my Hey Human Twitter for some reason. Um, so if you want to follow me on that Twitter, you can. Susan Ruthism is is that handle. Um, Susan Ruthism is also my handle for uh, my Instagram and my Facebook. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. What is here nor there is episode 56, can't believe it, of Hey Human Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for making this an incredible year and for helping it grow so much, this podcast. Um, it, it's wonderful. I really appreciate it. All right, here we go. Hi, Ellen Sevier. Hi, Susan Reith. Welcome to Hey Human. Thanks for having me on well, your show to interview you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, when this comes out in two weeks, this will be the official one-year mark of Hey Human. Can't crazy? believe it. One year. It's crazy. That is crazy. But I'm really proud of you for doing it, Susan. Thank you. That's nice of you to say. It's turned out great. I think lots of people like it. You have lots of followers. I like listening to mm. 
Um, other people, when you're interviewing, you, when you're interviewing them, say how much they like it and how they listen <laughs> to you. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it is cool. I, I'm pretty, pretty stoked about it. I'm really enjoying it a lot. Well, and so now we're turning the tables on you. I know. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and so now people can get to learn about the person that they listen to interview others. So we, I posted on my Facebook asking people to send in questions that I did not look at. That you you were the cur- curator of that. Yes, I gathered them all up, and uh, I'm sure you're. I've known you forever. Yes. I mean, First of all, before we get to how we know each other, yes, let's talk about you. Oh, okay. Let, let's go way okay. back to the very beginning. Okay. Very good place to start. A very good place, to as start. they say in Sound of Music, yes. and it applies here as well. So. Born in the Pacific Northwest. Yes. In Bellevue, Washington. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, you lived there until you were what? I, so we we traveled. Um, my parents oh, are, right. are both professors, and uh, my mother uh, was getting her doctorate, and uh, she's an archaeologist, a uh, Greek historian. Um, so she was finishing up her doctorate so we went to Greece and my how old were you at that point three mm-hmm. um and, and then, you had two big brothers I still do mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um uh, they're much older than I I have a half brother that's 13 years older than me and then my full-blooded brother uh is about six and a half years older than I mm-hmm. um Wait, how can one be older than me and the other be older than I? I don't really know how that happens, but that's how well. We won't. We won't be grammar police. Oh, we won't. Okay. (laughs) I'll be silently judging you, but of course, yes, you and my mother. (laughs) But she doesn't listen to this, so it's okay. Okay, good. She didn't have enough time. All right. Well, hey, that might come in. Anyway, yeah. So um, basically, I grew up um, though in the Pacific Northwest. I started school in England in Cambridge. Uh, and then I had a full-on accent and everything. You did? It wasn't the that southern, was southern accent. I know. You know. That was the easiest one to pop in my brain just now. But I did have a had a King's English accent and, and all that stuff. And then we moved back to uh, to Seattle, to, to Bellevue. And, um, yeah, started second grade, I believe. And then uh, I was off and running. Okay. And um, when... You were in school. You, you I know. You, now, some stuff I have a, a little bit of back end knowledge on because we've been friends for so long. So um, I'll be able to kind of lead some of these okay. questions. You're leading the witness. <laughs> and um, I remember that you did tell me before, even though uh, you are a very intelligent person, you come from intelligent people, it's in your genes. You almost couldn't help it anyway. Um, but you. Much to your um, annoyance sometimes. No, no. I like it. <laughs> Um, Even though I can't get I and me right. I remember you telling me once that you were not the best student. It's terrible student. Well, this is how it happened. When we got back, so I started in England. Uh, I, I don't know if it's because of the, where I was in the age bracket or if they just, I think they start school at a younger age. I think they begin at five instead of six like they do in America. Um, so I started school uh, there. And when we got back to America, uh, my brother... And I were placed uh, in a private school for the gifted. Mm -hmm. Um, And I loved it. It was awesome. And there's actually a picture in uh, the yearbook from when my brother and I were in school. And again, he's, you know, six and a half years older than I. There's a picture of me in his classroom 
looking over his his work, and apparently I uh, went in and did his. He You're denies it now, but he <laughs> he had told me when I was younger that I would come in and do his homework for him, and he would let me, and then I would go back to my class. Which is hilarious. Um, Of course, now he's like, I never knew. I was like, there's a picture in the yearbook of me actually doing it, Jeremy. So you can't, you can't (laughs) deny it. But here's the thing. So I loved it. It was very hippy dippy school, I suppose, as gifted schools maybe are in general. A lot of arts and music, and you know, I was learning five languages and doing music and and enjoying playing in the wood. You know, they'd let you go out and play in nature and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And then, uh, I don't know, probably it was my mother's decision. I wasn't, quote-unquote, associating with children my own age well enough in that. I mean, I did with the kids in the school because they were like me. But I preferred the company of adults to children. I invite my, I know. My birthday party, <laughs> I invited all adults. And my mom's <laughs> like, do you not want any kids? And I said, why would I want kids? There kind of thing. So anyway, my mother took it upon herself. I, I, I'm assuming it's my mom. Uh, they took me out of the private school and put me in public school so that I could socialize with children better. So what we've just established is that you've been strange from the get-go. Pretty much. You, Absolutely been... strange from the get-go. Okay. But, and so now I was in regular school, and instead of flourishing, of course, I was miserable. I hated it. I felt like, you know, I got bullied because I was tall and skinny and weird and wanted to talk about things that kids didn't want to talk about I didn't really understand you're supposed to dress like each other and you know I was never good at any of that stuff so um and then I got to junior high and it just got worse so I graduate not graduate I did not graduate from high school <laughs> with a, I I did graduate from high school but I uh the school I was going to I think I had mustered up about like a one seven or something in the high school wow. and uh, I was staying at my best. This is a lot of information, but I was staying at my best friend uh, Jill's house. Uh, it was th- toward the end of summer, and <laughs> she and I dropped acid actually, and uh, and, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. and we were you know just having a big old ball, and um, and then I had this epiphany. It was my senior year, um, technically, I guess even maybe even again because. I didn't, again, a 1-7, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. and I was, most of my friends were on drugs at my high school. I went to a very wealthy high school. Everyone was taking, like, it was riddled with drugs. Even the teachers were on drugs. Um, That's crazy yeah. to me. One of the teachers was supplying to a lot of the students. Anyway, so I woke up one morning after, well, we kind of slept, you know, it's LSD is like that, but I had this epiphany. I have to get the hell away from that school. I was—I mean, I was miserable anyway. Right. And so <laughs> I had the bright idea to go to Jill's school. She she had just graduated from her high school, and she loved it. Um, and I said, I'm going to go there, which was in the next city over. So I pretended to live at her house, you know, mm-hmm. address-wise. And... <laughs> And I went and registered. I called my parents. It was like 6 in the morning. And I was still kind of high. And I, my dad answered groggy, groggily. And I said, hey, Dad, I'm changing schools. I hate my school. I need to do something different. All my friends are on drugs. I need to get the heck out of there. I'm miserable. And he said, okay. I said, okay. That's the beauty of being the last child. They don't really <laughs> yeah. care. So I changed, I changed schools. And at that school, my senior year, I did I did well. Um, I... 
I don't know. I just, maybe it was just a big change. I was terrified. I mean, especially because the school I decided to go to, the kids had all known each other since they were, it was one of those schools where people grew up together, where they had right. started in kindergarten and all, everyone knew everyone else. And I walked in into the middle of, and I was terrified and I went straight to the payphone and I called Jill and I said, I'm so scared. This is, this was maybe a horrible idea. And she said, you'll be okay. You know, she kind of talked me off the wall. Mm -hmm. I spent the first two weeks in the library eating my lunch, terrified to like, you know, try and integrate with these people. But then I just said to myself, you're being stupid self. I got up, walked downstairs and sat down at the first table that looked semi-inviting and, and that changed everything. And I got to know some really cool kids and athletics was really important at the school. Uh So it wasn't drugged out and stuff. And, um, yeah, I and really you joined a sports team. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, <laughs> no, I did not. Uh, I was still pretty awkward in general, but, um, but yeah, I really liked that school. And then, you know, I went on to college and flourished there. So long story short. Yeah. I nearly flunked out of high school, but I did well that, that last go around. Okay. All right. So then you get to college and you're, um, you know, more out in the world and exploring different options of what you're going to be when you grow up, right? <laughs> so I suppose, yeah. So this kind, this kind of all ties in together, this question. Um, who did you, or what did you think you were going to be doing, like as a job or career? Uh-huh. As, like, what did you think when you were a child uh-huh. that you were going to be? Uh-huh. And then, like, let's say once you got to college and you really had to start making those decisions, uh-huh. what did you think you were going to be? And then at what point did it come into the, the singer-songwriter stuff? When I was little, I wanted to be Danny Kay, straight up. I loved Danny Kay. I just, I wanted to be him. Of course, I was a girl, so. What, um, who's Danny Kay? He's a famous uh, comedian, performer, oh. mu- uh, musical performing okay. actor. I know, I'm, I've heard that. He's fantastic. If you have never seen a Danny Kay movie, I suggest you go watch them, because they're f- okay. fantastic. The Court Jester, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, the, 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 the Swan? The swan that becomes the duck, ugly duckling ugly story. Duckling. I can't think of uh-huh. the name of the story. Anyway, he's great. Okay, Danny K. Danny K. is great. Um, and I, I loved music as a kid. Absolutely, I was in professional touring choir, and you know, thought I was going to be an opera singer, that kind of thing. And um, then I discovered pop music, and and that sort of changed my my tact. I wore out my Annie album. I know yeah. that, much to the chagrin of my neighbors, because I would sit, I would play the Annie record on my Fisher-Price record player, and I would lean out my bedroom window and sing, assuming that everyone wanted to hear it, I suppose, <laughs> um, at the top of my lungs, the entire soundtrack to Annie, and or the, you know, the musical track to Annie, to the point where my neighbors would call my parents and be like, could you get your kid to sh-? I Like, if we have to hear tomorrow one more time, we will They're come over and, and kill you. So, um, yeah, anyway, so I wanted to be a musical person, for sure. Um, but at what point did you think, I can really do this as a career? Or were you thinking, I want to? I had a lot of insecurities. I grew up in a pretty intense childhood, and, and um, my parents are still married and all that stuff, but, you know, there was certainly some intense, bumpy roads in my childhood. Um, so I didn't really have the self-confidence. I used to watch the Grammys and just sob and imagine what it would be like to to get a Grammy award and do all that stuff. But I was still 
terrified at the actual idea of it. Went off to college. I've always loved words, so I studied, and I thought I'll be a writer or I'll be a professor. In fact, I still, in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, someday I'll go teach in a college, and I'd teach banned literature. I think that would be so fascinating. You know, books mm-hmm. that have been banned throughout history. Um, so that was always sort of in my mind. Oh, and then banned. B-A-N-N-E-D. Banned. Correct. Not like B-A-N-D for the band. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> literature that's been banned. Um, and... So that was, I was sort of floundering, to be honest. When I graduated college, I thought, I, uh, what now? I was pretty depressed. I thought, I knew what what moved me, but it seemed like a ridiculous idea. And uh, I had some weird jobs after college. And I was at an insurance agent as the claims manager. And I got a phone <laughs> call from my mom. And she said, Billboard Magazine's having a songwriting contest. You should enter it. And I said, I don't know. I don't know how to write a song. And she said, you've been writing poetry your whole life. It's just like that. You just put music to it. So I went home and I had a roommate who played guitar. And I said, hey, do you want to write a song? And he said, sure. That was my first song. And uh, Do you remember what it was called? Let It Go. It was about a stalker. And um, I went, there was an open mic down down from where I lived called Madison's. Uh, and I said to my roommate, do you want to go do this open mic? Again, nothing I had ever done before, and I was terrified, truly. He said, sure. So we went and did this open mic, and I mean, I, my vibrato was off the charts. I was so scared. I was just mm-hmm. shaking, but I, I made myself do it. And the owner, the people cheered and stuff, and or clapped, whatever people do, and uh, the owner came up to me, Bill Pritchard, and he said, that was good. You should come back and, and do a show. I, uh, you know, and I said, I only have the one song. And he said, you better start writing then. Mm. And that truly set me on my path. Um, I went and with that roommate, we wrote some more songs. And I did a show at Madison's for no money. He said, the owner, Bill, said, um, you come back, you play for tips. If people like you, I'll have you back on as a regular. And you'll get paid off the door or whatever. So... I people crammed in friends and family. There's video, VHS video from that show, and you can see my legs. I was wearing these silk pants, and you could see my knees actually knocking. knocking. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> but I got through it, and people freaked out, and we made like three hundred dollars in tips. And Bill said, "That must have felt great." Oh, it felt great. And Bill said, "That's it. You're, you're." And so I became a regular performer at Madison's. He started a lot of careers. That man, he's a great man. I'm very indebted to him. And uh, and a lovely man, and yeah, so that's that's really what changed the whole trajectory of my life. Absolutely, my mother's dare, and then doing that. So, how much longer were you at the insurance agency after that? Yeah, a couple. I I left. I got offered a better job, more money, um, and I left and did that for another year. I think it was. It was about two years okay. that I kept working at a regular job while I was writing. While working on the songwriting stuff. Yes. And yeah. then I went to Nashville to make a record. And the rest of the city is history. Yeah. And that's where we met at a book club. Yes. And then we became friends. After we met, you were, you were here for about eight months or so. Mm-hmm. I think Making what after I met you. I, yeah, I made a right. record with Kenny Varga, who's uh-huh. still here in Nashville. Still, he still makes records and things. And then, and that was a, a pop record, or not pop, no, what folk. would you call it? It was folk. straight up okay, folk. Yeah, it was definitely Okay, and then, but not country. You weren't, like, into mm. the 
country music stuff mm-hmm. yet. I listened to it. I just wasn't writing writing it. Um, and but folk is it's, it's that's a country presence. originally. I mean, it all kind of started from that, right? The okay. Music. Um, but you didn't. The point is, you didn't come here thinking I'm going to be a country no. star. Like a lot of people that come to Nashville oh, are here no, for no, the no, country no. music, right? No, no, no. Mm-mm. So you were just coming here because you knew it was a music town, yeah. right? To make it, no, but Seattle had a great music scene. Yeah, but it wasn't really the kind of music that I did. Um, and that's why you thought, hey, I went to Nashville like, because I knew that it was a music place, and. That's where I met I met Jess and Josh Gagke. They were guitarists, brothers, and uh, we started playing together as well. And then we made this record with Kenny Varga. And I'm trying to remember how we even found Kenny. Um, I don't actually recall how. And then made the record and then went back to Seattle and started doing the touring and the playing. Made another record with Brent DeRocher as, uh, at the helm. Now, I was always the producer, per se, meaning I always found the money and, and put everything together. But these guys were also, in their own way, producers, certainly the engineers and the, mm-hmm. the masterminds driving the bus, you know? Yes. I got everyone on the bus, and then... And then, in that second album, the How to Say Goodbye album, did very well. It did very well. It won a lot of awards. It was... I was really on the... I was on the precipice. We thought something was I was right happen, there, right? Yeah. And then something... Something did happen. I mean, I... The third record happened, and... And that was an incredible experience. I made uh, Surfacing to Breathe with... You were in London. In London and yeah. New York with uh, Peter Gabriel's band, basically. Tony Levin and Jerry Murata. And see, Kenny Asher was on that record. It was an incredible experience. But somebody on the project um, done me wrong and, and uh, for lack of a better word, betrayed me and the project and everything. I made the record, but what was to happen after that? Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Like it's, you didn't get the marketing push or whatever it was. That the, you were, all of the it. Just all the things that were supposed to happen with this ma- mammoth undertaking. Um, not because of me. Right. <laughs> I worked my ass off. But, you know, looking back it, uh, over the years, I'm like, oh, why? I mean, I was right on the verge. Mm-hmm. The, every every review from major music magazines were like this girl's on the verge of success platinum records are you know uh, waiting right. and, and i don't them. think a lot of people in nashville know that cuz i think a lot they of people don't. that know you now just know you as a really writer. good songwriter mm-hmm. and um, but they don't know that you had your own band you fronted it was you and then you had a backup band yeah, basically toured and, and yes the whole on the stage and the tourings and things like that yeah. there was at one point during the summer um, uh, during the somewhere between the How to Say Goodbye and and Surfacing to Breathe albums, where my performance at uh, performance video maybe it was oh you know what it was right after it was right when we were right around the Surfacing to Breathe because because um, I remember they used a lot of footage from my Summer Nights at the Pier concert when I opened for the Beach mm-hmm. Boys yeah yeah but those I was on MSN video back then. And my videos were the most watched music videos on MSN.com of the of the summer of like yeah. that year. Yeah, Very which is cool. pretty wild. But I mean, you know, whatever. Here I am today. <laughs> so, but okay. thank God, actually, you know, I mean, I think at the time I was really poised, but I still had not worked out maybe all of my internal struggles. And um, looking back now, when I think, why, why in the world did all that? I was so close and then have it all just taken away like that. No matter, I mean, and I worked my ass off. And um, 
Right. But I think looking back, maybe it's because I wouldn't have been able to handle the scrutiny that people that are in that world at the time, I think mm-hmm. they could hand, handle it now. I'm, I'm much more realized as a human. Mm-hmm. But I think back then, it probably would have killed me in some way or another. One bad review, maybe, or two, or somebody taking a picture of my ass saying, is it getting bigger? Or, you know, whatever <laughs> it is that we love to vilify our famous people or whatever. I may not have... have I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have been able to handle it. It probably would have sent me into a spiral of some sort, drugs or alcohol or God knows what. Yeah. So. Well, okay. And then let's talk about another big event that happened when you were in Seattle. And by this time I had moved out to, you had talked me into moving out to Seattle. I had broken up. Jess and I had dated and he and I had broken up and the boys moved out. We all lived together in the same house. So Jess and Josh moved out and I called you up and said, you've always talked about coming to Seattle. Guess what? So you did it. I came it. out there and I was your roommate. Yeah. For a little while. That was a good time. And yeah, to let. We had some the, good dinner parties. Yes, we did. And then the guys that owned the house that we were renting sold it. Yeah. So we had to break up our band. Gunars. Um, oh, yeah. Gunars. Um, but, uh, you know, and then within the next year or so, I think you met Jim. Yeah. And I don't know if. People know that you have been married before. I was married for a hot minute. Yeah, I was. It was a. It should never have happened. And well, you know, it's when it happened, and and whatever. And we we got a great dog out of it. And you had a great wedding. We did have a good wedding. Tell yeah. the people what your wedding was uh, like. Jim wanted a prom wedding. He had not gone to prom, if my understanding, and I as well did never went to prom. And so we rented a gymnasium and. You've never been to a prom like this. Let me Ooh. tell you, it was it was a phenomenal. It was really fun. Prom wedding. Yes. I mean, down to like school bus. Or you were the principal. I or, was. No, you yeah, were the vice student student body student, president. That's right. You were student body president, and you and married I married us. you. My father was the principal. <laughs> the principal who yeah. gave you away. And uh, we had it in an actual school gym. We had it in the gym. We had thousands of Christmas lights, and we had purchased. The actual, actual prom set. All the prom sets. People got their pictures taken, like on prom, and people wore prom dresses and tuxedos, like prom. Funny tuxedo, yeah. Yeah, it was, and we. And there was a band. Yeah, and we had Indian buffet. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, not the Indian buffet. And it was such a prom wedding that there was a couple. There was a couple friends of Jim's who actually had sex on the dance floor, what? much to the shock and dismay of several people. I only heard about it later. Okay, I missed that one. Yeah. And I'm glad. Okay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So, it got off to it's a good weird. start. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. In retrospect, again, everything is 2020 in hindsight. But right about a month before the wedding, I freaked out. And I was like, I can't get... This is wrong. Something is not right. Something's not right. I went to my parents. I went to my friends. I went to Jim. And everyone said the same thing. You're just nervous. Mm-hmm. But... Now I know. Oh no, that was my intuition screaming at the top of its lungs, and I just didn't listen. I've gotten much better at listening to intuition. So that's maybe. I don't really like. I never check the divorcee checkbox or anything like that. I mean, I was married for such a short time. I forget sometimes. I do too. I do too. I always married just single. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird to think about. I get mad sometimes still, which is funny. I should I should have let it go by now. It was a long time ago. But um, but I mean, that marriage that long, but. in that marriage that got you back to Nashville. Nashville. That's true. So it had its gifts. I came back to Nashville. Um, 
With I the- have a lot of uh, starting overs in my life. I have to say, it's weird. I, mm-hmm. But I do. I don't know what it is about Nashville that keeps bouncing me back. Because I've tried to leave a couple times, mm-hmm. and I keep coming back. It's like a Stephen King novel. This <laughs> <laughs> it has a good ending. They always come back. Yes. Yeah, you probably just shocked the crap out of lots of people for two reasons. One, the fact that I nearly flunked out of high school and that I was married. Well, let's see what else we can come up with. Oh, my God. This is like... <laughs> um, uh, I have not killed anyone. Well, so one of the questions out here was about was about marriage. And do you think you would get married again? Do you want to oh, get I married don't... again? Would you be satisfied if you never got married again? I mean, yes to all that stuff. I think I'd be fine if I didn't ever get married again. I'm not driven by the idea of I must get married. Um, it doesn't really occur to me. I don't think about it, in other words. Um, I... Some days I wake up and I think marriage is an antiquated concept. Concept, Mm -hmm. you know. um, And then some days I I wake up and I think, okay, well, I guess it makes sense, especially if you're having children and things like that. And even even now, I don't think you have to be married to have children. Um, I do believe everyone certainly has the right and deserves the right to get married if they want to. but I, I sometimes think, I wonder if people are even meant to be monogamous. It's, it's just, I go through all these scenarios all the time in my brain. And I think it would have to be a pretty, well, like anyone, if you're going to get married, marry somebody that's really well suited for you. Nobody's perfect. I do not believe that you are half a person and someone else is half a person and that you complete each other. Personally, that does not work for me. I want to be as much of a hundred percent of a person as I can be, and hopefully find somebody that would also be a hundred percent of a person as much as they can be. Do you think that if you do get married again, that you will marry somebody who is like in your same industry? Like from what you've seen, well, how do those marriages marriages work out? People, who I are- very rarely have dated within my industry. Generally, they're civilians. Generally, they're imports. <laughs> I always joke because they usually aren't from around here or from wherever I'm living. Uh, I think that's my own healthy loner way of making sure there's always some space. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I Again, I'm not 100% on anything. If somebody is wonderful and in this industry, great. I mean, now I'm in three industries, so which right, one? Right, that's true. Um, <laughs> really, I'm in four industries. Um, so there's that. But I do think if it's somebody that isn't, in the in a creative field, mm-hmm. it would certainly have to be somebody who um, understands or is creative in their own right, and whatever that means. There's there's a fire that burns in a creative that for people who truly are not at all creative, I don't think they'll ever understand that fire, and it might even be quite um, jealous of it. In have, a way. have you had any experiences with boyfriends where they just didn't get it? Yes, almost yeah. exclusively. <laughs> they you don't say, have to name names. No, or no. Anything, they but... say they they get it. They want to get it. They're intrigued by the flame. You know, the people that mm-hmm. that burn in the flame are also intrigued by the flame. They're they're intrigued by people that burn even hotter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, jealousy has been a major issue um, because I hang out with and work with some very handsome folks you know Mm -hmm. Um, time people want all your time some you know or there's a lot of dependency issues but again I think that's just human beings are have these issues and perhaps it doesn't even matter what field they're in these are 
human ego issues. Yeah. So I can't really speak in my own experience. And I dated some doozies coming up through the ranks because I was trying to, I think, in retrospect, deal with some family issues. Mm-hmm. And if you can't deal with the actual person that you have the issue with in your family, the next best thing is to choose a lover who perhaps embodies that right. That that's issue. Because that's what they say. You gravitate toward. I think that's true. Those and kind t- of people and try to work out those and you try issues. And heal. Um, I've done a lot of healing in my years. I've done a lot of therapy in my years. Um, and so I think at this point, any relationship I come into, I would hope that it would be that they just keep getting more and more healthy. You know. Right. So listen up, guys. Susan is single. <laughs> that's the point. That's here. the moral of the story. <laughs> Speaking of love and things like like that, speaking of funny things, yes. Um, I don't know if people out there know about your love of Ryan's. Oh, I love right. I so, love Ryan's so, from Canada. It's specific. This question: the Ryan's okay. from Canada seem to there's something about them. Like parents just know this child is going to grow up to be an incredibly attractive man. So we right. Well, we okay. So we're Ryan. specifically we're talking about Ryan Gosling and Ryan. Ryan Re- Ryan Eggle. Eggle and Ryan Reynolds. Yes. Okay. All of whom I believe are, are probably taken. But it's fun to have crushes. But if you were going to have just one of them. Ooh, Tuffy. Uh, if I was going to have Which just one, one and Ryan. Why? Hmm. Hmm. Now, you know, is height, would height be a thing? Because I know no, sometimes. I don't care. I mean, I've dated guys as short as 5'9 and as tall as 6'5. And I really believe that. Height is in the soul. And for those who don't know, Susan is 6'1". Yeah. Well, a little under 6'1". A little under 6'1". Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've met some very tall, short guys and some very, very short, tall guys. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Short on personality or lacking something. Short soul. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Just, yeah. Anyway. Very, I like know, that. I kind of like, instead of like old soul, he's, he's a, old soul. He's a short soul. He's a short soul. He's a, <laughs> he's a tech dude. He's a he's tiny got, soul. He's got a really short soul. He's got giant hands and a tiny soul. <laughs> okay, well, any of those Ryans okay, would be oh, good. But it, yeah, I mean, for me... That's not really a hard-hitting question. It no, it's not. My top, you know, my top thing with, with lovers is uh, funny. Mm-hmm. Funny and smart. Those are really my top things. I, I would say, if somebody said to me, do you have a type, I none of the guys I've dated have looked alike, honestly. Yeah. None of them. But they are they tend to be funny and smart. So mm-hmm. it's kind of my shtick. I, I wanted to talk about the tall thing real quick because I feel like, I mean, I'm kind of short for a girl. I'm 5'2", right? Yeah, 5'2". But I always you're think you're 5'7", for some reason. I always think you're taller. You know why? Because i got a tall soul. That's, right. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> So there's an example <laughs> that of that. That is true. You do have a tall soul. Um, but I wonder, like it's cranky though, you're very cranky. Yes, that helps make me taller. Uh, That's why. Um, <laughs> growing up was being the tall. Were you always the tall? I imagine I had you six were... foot at fourteen, and I weighed about a hundred pounds when that happened. So yeah, I was I was a bean, which is why I modeled. Yeah, I did runway, and uh, yeah. So yeah. see now that that should have been a cool thing, right? I love doing that because in runway modeling, when, you, when you're wearing these outfits, you become different people. And anyone else but myself seemed like a great idea. So, yeah. But you always hear about models who were picked on hor- you know, horribly I feel like by every them. Yes, I feel like every model has that story. Yes. Yeah. Because we're and, tall and gangly and 
I, I don't know. It's funny. I thought I was so ugly back then. Oh my God. I just, I, I really did. I thought I was so ugly. And I came across a pile when I moved into, I bought this house two years ago. And when I was moving, I dug open a box that I hadn't opened in years. And it was pictures from high school mm -hmm. and junior high and such. But there was a particular photograph from high school. And I looked at that girl who is me and I was stunned because I thought, not that bad. Not that bad. In fact, <laughs> even kind of cute. Yeah. You know, like, but she hated herself so very much. It's sad. It's sad to me, you know, all yeah. that time wasted. I think about who would I have been if I had, I know so everybody's got stuff. We've all, I'm sure, spent childhood sucks, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Maybe well, yeah. not, though. I don't know. I'm, I, maybe my case was a little different. Everyone's got their own cross to bear. But um, I think about if, what if, the kids these days, as they say, they, they seem so self-actualized and realized, and they know who they are, what they want, what they're going to do. They're going to go after it. And it took me, I was always a late bloomer anyway, but I didn't really even start my life, truly, until I was older. So this kind of dovetails into another one of my questions, which people throw this out fairly, fairly frequently, I think, in um, certain kinds of uh, conversations. But mm -hmm. if you could, knowing what you know now, if you could tell your 10-year-old self, mm -hmm. um, give yourself some kind of advice mm -hmm. or or something. It was what, a, I would give the advice to my 10-year-old self that a friend of mine, Kathy, gave to me just this last year. And it was that um, what other people think of you is none of your business. Hmm. I've never heard it put that way. Yeah, I think if my if I could make somehow make my ten year old self understand that everybody's fighting their own battles and people treat you crappy because of how they feel about themselves, you know, or their insecurities or whatnot. If I could somehow convince little me that the way I was treated by people in my own family, by people in my school, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. um, that it didn't that that was their battle that would, and it had nothing to do with me. I don't know if I would have believed myself, but that would yeah. be definitely... That would be what you would... Probably, yeah. Um, that kind of leads into another question um, that somebody sent in, um, which is, how do you manage the dark times? All artists go through bleak and trying oh, sure. days and things like that. So like yeah. now, what do you do if you're... Well, I get depressed. Absolutely. Yeah. There are days I wake up and I'm, I just think, what am I doing? Why am I on this planet? There's a joke in my family that, you know, the aliens just dropped me off to, like, use the bathroom at the gas station and thought it would be funny if they left. <laughs> and then I was there at the gas station with, you know, toilet paper stuck to my shoe going, guys, where are you? Where'd you go? I keep waiting for the aliens to come back and get me. Um, but uh, how do I deal with it? I, I suppose the best way that I deal with it is that I know it's temporary. Somewhere, even when I get real blue, I don't take it out on other people, first of all, which helps, I think, limit the exponentiality of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's some sort of thing where when people feel shitty and if they're shitty to other people, it makes them feel a little bit better. Right. That doesn't... That the whole misery loves company yeah, thing, so let's make other people... That isn't my thing. I, I tend to keep it to myself as best I can. Um, I don't 
subject other people to my misery or nor do I try and make other people miserable to make myself feel better. So part of it is I just keep to myself. I read. um, I try and watch stand-up comedy a lot. I love stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. It makes me very happy. Um, And they tend to be incredibly bright individuals. Right. So, um... Well, and isn't that kind of... um... You know, and they're dark too. Right. right. There's yeah. that irony with yes. you, with because comics, they are so dark. That. It makes mm-hmm. me know that I'm not alone in my thoughts. You know, mm-hmm. and um, I get sad about the world and where it's going, and and then I'm really still to this day. Although I, I think I have achieved a lot, I'm very hard on myself. I go to bed a lot of times at night and think I should have done more today. I'm so lazy. I can't believe you're just bringing this up, except for the same time I can, because one of the another question that I have here um, is uh, when you go to bed at night, when you're laying down, you got your head on the pillow, you're getting ready to go to sleep. Uh-huh. Um, what do you do? Are you saying prayers? Are you thinking about your day you just had? Thinking about the next day to come? What are, like what's going through your mind? It's funny. I do all sorts of things. When I'm in a blue phase, um, I I'm not good at going to bed. I'll stay up. Till I can barely keep my eyes open, and it almost feeds into an insomnia of sorts. I know that seems weird because I'm forcing myself to stay awake until I reach a threshold where I then can't sleep. And um, I think it's because I feel like if I fall asleep and wake up tomorrow, which inevitably will happen, it's nothing will have changed. Mm-hmm. So if I can just stay awake, somehow maybe I can control it or something you know does that make sense at all i know that's like a weird thing to say but it's almost like if i don't go to sleep tomorrow won't come and uh and if tomorrow doesn't come it it can't get any worse in other words (laughs) you know what i mean out there in the world or in my own mind or whatnot which is juvenile i suppose but that's just the way it is some nights i go to sleep and i sleep perfectly well i i mean i have bouts of insomnia for sure but some nights i close my eyes and i'm just out cold and uh I can also sleep anywhere. I can be in the middle of a train station and probably just lay down and fall asleep. No big deal. It's a weird thing. Um, when you were a kid, yes, were you like growing up? I did not sleep at all. So did you have? Did you your family have the ritual of okay, we're going to bed, we're going to say our prayers, no. we're going to do no, no, no my, my father's a scientist. My my parent, my mother, I would say, is sort of a hippie, and, and like she's more woo-woo. You know, she believes in all sorts of things um, out there in the world that are, un- oh, it's funny to say, because you can't really see Maybe not how. the conventional yeah, type of... Yeah, more mystical, I guess. Right. Um, but when I started school in... But really quick before I, I go there, mm. I wanted to finish my thought about yes. sleeping. Some nights I go to sleep, and I listen to these great um, YouTube things of very calm voiced people telling me I, I'm going to be great, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Like Yeah, like the hip, subliminal messaging Yeah, like type. hypnotism mm-hmm. stuff. It's not even subliminal. subliminal. They're actually, Michael oh. Seeley is one of the ones I listen to and I love Michael Seeley. And it just, I don't know, I, I think it works. It gets in my brain pan and makes me feel like I'm not so lazy. Um, and sometimes I just go to sleep. But some, you know, like everybody else, Sometimes I lay awake thinking about things, but it's not really what I do. Even when I have insomnia, I can't put a finger on anything. I'm not, like, worrying about bills or relationships or anything like that. I just am not sleeping. Hmm. Um, but, okay, so now back to uh, religion-y prayers things. Um, so in, in England at my school, Gert and Glebe, um, 
they, you know, prayed. What was it called? <laughs> Gert and Glebe. Oh, Gert and Glebe. <laughs> Gert and Got Glebe it. Okay. in Cambridge. And uh, I go to school and you pray to the queen for her safe being and you pray to Jesus. So I came home from school. Wait, you pray to the queen or you're praying for the queen? Basically safe. the same thing. Okay. Yeah, from my little five-year-old memory. Um, came home and I said to my parents, who's this Jesus guy? And my parents, being my parents, uh, sat me down and they said, well, okay, here's the world's major religions. Here's the world's minor religions. Here are, this is the pantheon. You know, my mother knowing mythology, here's all the mythologies. Mm -hmm. And she was pretty well versed in a lot of, as, as is my father. I mean, you know, back when they grew up, they had to know all these things. Um, so I learned about Mesopotamian gods, like all, like the whole nine yards and, and good on them. They said to me, Susan, this is, this is the ball of wax. Um, but we can't tell you who you are or what to believe. That's, that's up to you to decide and we'll support you in whatever it is you want. So I got to do everything. I went to temple on Fridays. I went to church. My mom's Episcopalian. Went to church on Sundays. I went to my friends' churches. I went to the Catholic churches because I love, especially the ones where the mass was in Latin. Which mm-hmm. you, you being Catholic, were probably mm-hmm. like, "Oh my God, no!" But I loved it. Um, Baptist stuff. I went to a couple friends' black churches. You know, um, where the music was just sensational. Um, so I get to do it all. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I learned as I went was, um, and I would say it was even coming to it from my more of my father's background of atheism. Just because science ruled our house. You know, Mm -hmm. it was all about science. You always learned how things were made or done or why things were the way they were. Generally had a scientific element. It wasn't like my father was trying to make me an atheist. I think it's just science was his God. And um, now that he's older, I'd say he's definitely agnostic. But at the time, um, I would say he was more atheist. But anyway, they, but they never said, you have to believe what we believe. So gradually, as I learned all these different philosophies and religions, and, um, and my mother, I would, I would say for her, literature was a religion. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was reading all sorts of interesting stories along the way. And at my dinner table growing up, the TV wasn't on. Nobody was looking at a phone. We were discussing stuff, you know, the uh-huh. world and the universe what were your brothers doing religion? Well, my eldest brother wasn't around. He left. You know, we're a lot different in ages. And he left when he was 15 to go live with my grandparents because they were wealthy and spoiled him. And he liked that better than my parents who had rules. <laughs> you know. Um, but my brother and was Jeremy, the middle child. Um, we all we were very active in the conversation. A lot of wit. A lot of pun. A lot of sleight of, you know, intellectual hand. Things like that. It was fun. Um it's also tumultuous. I mean, this was it was not always rosy at that house. Um, my father worked a lot, so understandably, and he traveled a lot for his for his work, the science stuff. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, yeah, I grew up in this sort of hodgepodge, and I came on my uh, my own volition to believe that all things are very much connected. I have a deep spiritual belief in something bigger than myself. You can call it whatever you want. Um, to me, it's where all things originate. And it doesn't exclude science. It doesn't exclude the Big Bang. It doesn't exclude evolution. To me, it's all connected, everything. So. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay. <laughs> Are people still listening, you think? Or do they <laughs> like, this is weird as shit? 
Only one way to find out. Yeah, like, Put it out there. I really have to go to the bathroom. I'll be back. And then they just don't turn it back on again. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, let's go. Let's talk about some art stuff. Let's talk about six, baby. baby. Let's talk about you. Okay, art stuff. Yeah, Art stuff. Okay, so um, when you mm-hmm. moved to Nashville, mm-hmm. um, you, the first time, no, the second, second time, time. That's when I started um, with painting. The marriage. Yes, that's when you started painting. Mm-hmm. 2007, I started painting. What brought that on? And then... Um, 2006. Sorry, I started painting in 2006. I get dates wrong a lot. 2006. 2006. I woke up one morning and I thought, I wonder if I could paint. I know nothing about art. I In, in my gene pool, my mother is a very talented uh, artist. She can, she can draw like nobody's business. She's good at copying stuff. Like if she looks at this thing over here, she can draw mm-hmm. it out over here. And she's edited and illustrated a lot of books um, for her, you know, stuff that she does. Her, you know, the Greek historical ancient world stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, my great, 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 a handful back, uh, Heinrich, um, sorry, Carl Gutierrez, he's a famous painter. Um, he has a museum in, in Memphis, which mm-hmm. I still have to go to. I haven't been there yet. Um, he's considered one of the fathers of the symbolist movement. It's pretty exciting. I cannot paint anything like him. However, uh, but I did wake up one morning in 2006 and I thought, I wonder if I could paint. So I went to the paints, the art store and I bought canvas and some paint. And I called up my friend, David Gadara, who's an exceptional painter in town. And I said, Hey, can I come over and paint with you? Um, I have all the supplies and everything. I want to see if I can paint. And he said, sure, come on over. So I went over and and we drank some vodka and cranberry juice and started, <laughs> I started painting. He was painting on the floor over there. I was painting on the floor over here. And I just went for it without thinking so much. And he came over a little later and looked at it. He said, yep, you're a painter. And that begun. People started buying my paintings and, and I started painting more. And it, pretty crazy. I fell into it, really. Um, vividgallery.org for those of you listening yes I also vividgallery.org if you go to vividgallery.com it's a porn site so don't go there or do do if you want it's fine but um, and then go and then once you're all worked up you're in your refractory period (laughs) (laughs) go to vivid uh, vividgallery.org org yes I don't know why that suddenly sounds sexual too it does org don't put a y on the end of that or it sounds way more sexual than calm, so it is interesting that because that's just missing the why. I yeah. At the end, um, so what? How would you describe your paintings? Abstract. abstract. Okay. I, somebody once told me that I was an abstract realist, which made me laugh. But um, so because people people do show up in my paintings a oh, lot, yeah. but they're not they're not people with faces. Right. They're more. abstract people. They're more. I joke that these are the people that must follow me around all the time, and I'm just bringing them to life. Yeah. They're probably all around us. I'm, maybe it's some dimension I'm painting that I'm somehow tapping into. I'll go with that. Um, and building on that, <laughs> one of, good. there's a question here. Um, are these your questions now? Not, some of them are. Oh, some of them are people yeah, right. that oh, cool. um, have come through. And uh, this person uh, says, as an abstract painter myself, I always oh. like to know where your vision comes from mm-hmm. for your paintings. So. I do not ever have a plan. I know that's hard. So you're <laughs> so like, there, you've got your blank canvas, you've got, got blank, your paints, and, I just and you have no freaking clue what's no, about to no clue. come off of that brush. Now, when I get commissions, 
people say, oh, I like that painting of yours or that painting of yours. And so I have that in the back of my mind when I paint, but I, there's zero rhyme or reason. I just start painting. Um, and I th- see things start to appear to me and, and I try to bring them out as I see them. So there is never a plan. Okay, now let's compare this to, this is bringing in another question um, with music, your other art form. Where do you look for inspiration when writing music? Um, when you're I, now blank paper, sure. right? You got your pen, sure, sure. different instruments. When I go into a write with um, other people, for example, and it's different when I write by myself, um, but when I go into a room with other people, my favorite thing in the world to do is just to have them start playing an instrument because that inspires. Once once I hear the music, it like it triggers something in my brain and, and the poetry just starts coming out. That's my favorite way of doing it. Um, but do you kind of in the back of your mind like... Well, because I'm a, a, a writer that writes for other people and in actuality for profit, if we're lucky, um, you know, it's a job that I go in and I have to sit down and be like, okay, what are we writing today? And sometimes we're writing to a, a title, you know, or an idea. Again, my fa- I have over the years found the people I really enjoy writing with who get me and I get them. And sometimes we talk about what's going on in each other's lives my last ex-boyfriend inspired many a song for me. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote a lot from all different perspectives, from the happy, from the sad, from the break, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think there's real life inspires. I read a lot of books. Um, I love quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to be inspirational. They could just be, you know, subject matter. Um and I pay attention. I overhear conversations, movies. I get ideas from movies. I try and stay in touch with feelings, which sometimes I'm not good at that. I'm weirdly, I'm empathic, but I'm also a step out of that too. It's, it's a strange combination of things. So it sounds different, very different from with the painting mm-hmm. than with the, the songwriting. It's yeah, like... I would say there's more of a focused goal in songwriting. Unless I'm just sitting at the piano or at my guitar, which neither of which I play very well, that and I just start whatever is the first thing that comes to my mind. Then it's more free association, mm-hmm. and I have I have been able to get some great gems out of that and bring those to rights and be like, oh, I have this whole chorus, or oh, mm-hmm. I woke up from this dream with this song. I don't tend to write by myself for full songs. A lot, but it certainly has happened. I try to make sure that at least one song solo written by me ends up on all my records. And if anybody out there is an investor, I would love to make another record, but they're like $10,000 to make records. So I sure would like to make another one, though. I really would. I think I would make a more Americana. Go back to my rootsy yeah, side, the yeah. more folky, well, like that's folky a, pop okay. side. Okay, this is leading into another question See, that somebody sent, so right? psychic. What are your plans and vision with your music as well as for your artwork mm-hmm. um, for the future? Everything represents something different for me. I paint, unless it's specifically for a commission, I paint when I'm in the mood to paint just because... It's something that I feel like I have to get out right then. And again, no goal for it. I just want to sit down and sling some paint around and see what happens. Music, I'd say I'm far more focused about it. Um, ideally, I mean, I would. in my dream mind, it's me playing for small, intimate theaters and um, touring around and performing and meeting people. And that sounds awesome to mm-hmm. me. To like a little hour, hour and a half show where I can, you know, be a little comedian 
your little <laughs> storyteller, your little music player. And that that would be fantastic. And make records. I love making records. It's, it's such a beautiful process. It's harrowing as well, but it's it's awesome. Um, and then the podcast. I mean, I tell you what. I'm so glad I started doing this. It, it brings me so much joy and it feeds my curiosity, which is insatiable. And uh, just meeting all these people, whether I agree with them or not, or, you know, f- whatever it is, it's, this has been a lifeline for me. Do you think that um, if you couldn't do art or music anymore, would podcasts be... I, would, I used to say that if I couldn't do music or period, that it would probably kill me. Um, and I will always be writing songs in my head or, you know, whatever. Um, but now that I'm doing the podcast, I'm like, oh, here's this thing that I truly, truly love. And if that became the main focus of my life, I'd be okay with that too. I, I think I would, I would love to just like get in a car and drive and meet strangers and talk to them about their lives or stranger to me but maybe the world at large knows them whatnot you know so now at a year of doing podcasts and you've talked to all different kinds of people Mm -hmm. um do you have a favorite or i know it might be hard to pick someone just one the other day it is always hard or maybe and maybe there's one that was your favorite to record while you were in it but you have another one that when you listen back on it i don't know i love there's there's so I really love so many of them for so many different reasons. The Made by Jim Bob, I really enjoyed that one because uh, he's a political cartoonist. Um, I love his mind. And so being able to talk about the philosophy of the world with him was um, really cool. Uh, The Vietnam historian, one Mark Carson, was really interesting to me because I didn't know a lot about that. Like the real stuff, whatever I learned in ninth grade was so rudimentary that to be able to sit and talk with somebody that really knew what the hell he was talking about was fascinating and how it paralleled with what's going on today in politics, the politics of then versus the politics of now. Uh, the, the Grand Dragon and the KKK was intense, but I'm, I'm really glad I did that episode. It was, I learned a lot. Um, I learned about myself. I learned about him, and I think people listening learned about themselves. I really like that one, too. You know I was very apprehensive about you yeah. doing that one in the first place. I know. But then, and I even waited. I mean, I usually listen when you, your podcast comes out on Thursday. And I usually listen to it that day or the next day. You know, I get sure. to it pretty quickly. The, that one I waited for a while to get to because mm-hmm. I just thought, eh, I don't know. I don't, just the whole topic of it and everything. Yeah, it's an intense topic. And um, But after I listened to it, I loved it. I was like, this is fascinating. The yeah. whole thing, you know. And I just thought, this is somebody I would not have anything in common with. And I actually did have some things in common with it. Which is weird, isn't it? I know. Yeah. yeah. That, that was my, that's my whole point, is that in this podcast, no matter who you are, it's my hope that when you're listening to these episodes, again, whether you agree with the people or not, or think of yourself as a thousand times different, that there's some part of you that goes, oh, wait, I do hear myself in that mm-hmm. voice. Because it's the only thing that's going to save humanity, I swear to God. Yeah. So okay, yeah, you've done you've done some good ones. I know you've got some. I've got a lot good of ones coming. I got good ones, and yeah. you got good ones coming up too. Mm-hmm. And I've cried in the middle of. I, I interviewed Brett Swain. He owns the cookery here in town in Nashville, and he employs homeless people mm-hmm. to teaches them how to be chefs. He himself was homeless and learned to be a chef, and he gives back now. And uh, I cried during that interview. I was so moved by the things that we talked about. 
I, I just, I can't even, <laughs> it's just, I'm, I feel so lucky to be able to do this. I'm so glad that I'm doing this. And I'm so glad people are listening. Yes. Well, it's fun. It's I mean, wonderful. it's kind of cool. It's like, it's almost like meeting people without meeting, without yeah. having to actually <laughs> yeah. meet them. Because you're meeting them for us. And then we get to, it's true. Because I listen to, I think I feel like I know people, especially like certain podcasts that I listen to or interviewers or people that I listen to on a regular basis. And I feel like I know, I'm like, I don't know them. You know, I just know them from the podcast yeah. a little bit. But I feel like I do. I feel yeah. like I have a connection. Each person that you interview and I listen to it, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. well, I've got one degree. I've got my friend Susan who knows that person. And so and I know what, you know, Yeah. she's like, so I feel like I'm meeting all these people vicariously through you. And that's fine. It is interesting. I, the KKK guy, Richard, was um, fascinating too because, I mean, I was nervous. I went to his house. Yeah, so I remember I didn't like that. Yeah, neither did my parents. Um, I went to his house, and I went in and sat down, and we talked. And a lot of people were upset that I was, quote-unquote, giving him a voice. And to me, it was important to, to, to do it because I think we put people like that in the shadows. We turn them into monsters. You know, we're like, oh, they, they don't really exist except for in this little microcosm of the world. But in fact, they're your doctors, your lawyers, your teachers, your architects. They're your everyday people that are that have these thoughts and for me to go in and not be argumentative with him but give him space and say to him why do you think this way how were you raised what what brought you here um well i don't agree with that but this is why i don't agree and just have a Mm -hmm. conversation with room and you know this but a couple weeks after that aired uh he contacted me and he dropped the n-bomb left and right but i maintained saying african-american 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 and by the end of that conversation, he had said African-American, which I thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't even, I didn't say to him. You yeah, he started coming. You made some good points. And, and uh, he yeah. was listening. And because I wasn't being a dick about it, and like it gave space so that he could really think about stuff. And I could think about it. Like we gave each other space, which in the world at large, people aren't seemingly willing to give each other the space to hear what the person who doesn't agree with them thinks. And then all hell breaks loose. But a couple weeks after that episode, he emailed me and it was a list of African-American inventors. And he said, do you see, I'm sure I've talked about this on other episodes, but to me it was so moving. Mm -hmm. He said, do you see all these people on this list? Did they really invent all this stuff? And I researched it and got back to him and I said, yeah, you know, four of these people reinvented the wheel and that they made something that already existed better and everybody else on this list invented the things that they said they invented. This is why. This is who they were. Blah, blah, blah. And he wrote back, that's so cool. And that was that. And that's when you became the racist whisperer. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but how wonderful. Like, because there was space. Growth happens in the space. But it takes a certain kind of person like you to remain calm and talk to them and do that. Because not everybody has that skill. Because most people just want to not bother with it. I'm going to stay over here in my corner and you go over there in your corner. And he said some pretty intense things. I was like, well, I don't really agree with that. You know, and it's when you're, I think when you are confident in your convictions and yet you're also somebody who's curious and willing to grow you don't have to argue your point. You can just be like, eh, I don't think of it that way. I think of it this way. And you allow room for the other person to be like, eh, I don't think of it that way. I think of it this way. 
why well, fighting, screaming at each other? There's it's yeah. moot. It's, it brings on no change and no growth, and it's boring. Yeah. I think it's boring. Yeah, it sells a lot of TV, I suppose. Yeah, I'm getting real tired of all the rhetoric, you know, yeah. and all the yeah. fighting for this and fighting for that. It's like don't cause we're not yeah. actually fighting each other. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's another podcast. Uh, let's let's change. Here's a really fun question okay. that was sent in. Yeah. Then I already know the answer to this, and just the way that you've already answered orange. some questions today. The answer is orange, my um, favorite color. Okay. That was not it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Here it is. If you woke up at night to find a large, glowing, maybe orange, whirring, disc-shaped spacecraft in your yard and a tall, thin, <laughs> reptilian-ass creature mm. standing at the open entryway with arm outstretched, assuming it was an arm, they might not call it that, monitoring for you to board... Would you? Motioning for me to board? Yes, I'm sorry. Motioning for you to board. Would you? <laughs> the catch is the two of you cannot communicate, so you have nothing to help you make the decision uh, to board or stay put. It's interesting that it's reptilian, which, you know... We're, yeah, there's a lot of... The reptilian has got the negative connotation, although I grew up loving snakes. So Maybe this person that. really likes yeah, you know things what like that. Um, it's, it's a great question. I actually asked this question on dates in, in, in its own way that only... The communication thing isn't usually a part of it, but just if aliens showed up and said, you want to come along? You'll be safe. Would I do it? And always the answer is yes. But this is the catch, remember? You cannot communicate. Right. So you don't know. At least not verbally. Well, the the catch is the two of you cannot communicate, so you have nothing to help you make the decision to board or stay put. So there's this alien there that's motioning to you. Sure, sure. Their arm outstretched. I would like to think that in that moment, my intuition would... Definitely kick in and empathically, I would know. Now, whoever's asking this question doesn't know that these sort of things happen to me all the time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's why I, I feel pretty confident. I don't know what you would say. Um, I, you know, I think, again, I would listen to my intuition um, and I would follow that. In lieu of intuition, I, I'm guessing my curiosity would get the best of me and I'd get on the Get on the boat. Hell yeah, you would. Yeah. You're getting on there. I'd get on there, yeah. We're yeah. going. <laughs> I'd be like, finally, you're back. I have toilet paper. <laughs> right. You dropped me off. Right. Okay. <laughs> I don't like to think of myself as reptilian. I don't know why that has a negative... I love reptiles. I'm a big fan of all reptiles. Well, this person said tall and thin also. That's you're tall true. and thin. It's a good point. So maybe, you know, it's true. Maybe you were dropped off. Maybe. Um, I don't feel very reptilian, but anyway, go on. Okay. Yes. Uh, next that. question. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in miracles? And if so, how would you define them in your life? I absolutely believe in miracles. Um, I've experienced them personally. Now, do you believe in them? Miracles as in this is a divine intervention, from, like a from God, you know, the tra- in the traditional sense of miracles, not. Well, I've already spoken to the fact that for me, uh, the, the bigger picture is not like the dude you know it's not like the dude on the on a chair going you've been good i like you yeah you've been a dick you're going to hell i'm, mm-hmm. I'm not into that guy mm-hmm. really um for me it's this sort of uh not sort of it actually is for me uh and uh, all things with a capital a and all things um and all and all beings um and uh i don't think it doles out punishment the way religion likes to think of it but that's my own personal opinion and i'm not saying that people that believe otherwise that they're wrong or right right 
I won't know until I die. Okay. So and even then I might not. But um, to answer the question, what was the question? Do you believe in miracles? Yeah, okay, and if miracles, so, how would yes. you define them in your life? I do believe in miracles. I have experienced them myself. I have been uh, saved from some pretty intense situations, inexplicably so. Um, <laughs> I've been rescued in the middle of nowhere when death was imminent. Uh, what do you mean? I floated out to sea in the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that fishing boat just appeared out of nowhere. And I mean, I'm sure it was maybe happening by, but we would have died for sure. Um, there were sharks, and there was a dolphin protecting us from the sharks. It was a crazy thing. Um, but in other instances, when Jill and I uh, walking, we were in Hawaii. Uh, I can't remember why. I did our car break out. Something had happened. And... Um, we were walking and walking and walking and walking and walking, and there was no one in sight, nothing in sight. And this man pulled up in a van, the door opened, and he said, My name is Cowman Amuha. And he gave <laughs> us his card and he helped us. And, and Wait, are you making that name up? Or nope. you, that's literally what he said? Literally his name. My name is Cowman Amuha. Gave us his card, helped us, whatever. And then it's funny because the next day we couldn't find his card anywhere. And I actually asked her a couple of years later, I said, do you remember Cowman Amuha? She's like, yes. I said, did he really exist? She's like, I have no idea. We Either we both mass hallucinated this person out of thin air. It was bizarre. Anyway, so there was Cowman Amuha, if you're out there in Hawaii somewhere. Um, and then I had a moment which... Uh, when I was having a very dark time in my life, I was very sad and very lost. And um, I I do believe that something larger intervened to remind me that not only do miracles abound, but I too am one, as we all are. Yes. So yeah, I believe in miracles. Okay. They're everywhere too. They're everywhere. This They're moment, everywhere. to me, I mean, this moment is a miracle. It's sort of like... Yeah, we, but if we you say that, then, does, does that... Not, does that negate yeah, the actual, actual... No, because they're different... The different, different levels of The fact of that we even exist is pretty extraordinary. Um, I, I, Not knowing this person asking the question, nor what they mean by miracle, I can only imagine they're probably talking the grand miracle, the mm. miracle of, like, the burning bush or the crying Mary or whatever. Yes. And I have experienced things like that in my life, and I absolutely do believe in them, yes. Okay. Um, just a few more here. <laughs> Good questions. Are you afraid to die, and what do you think happens after a person dies? Well, I've died twice, and then, so there's that. Um, but also... Real quick, let people tell... I drowned when I was three, when we were in Greece, and came back, and... I don't remember it other than my body remembers it because when I get into um, water where I can't see the bottom, my body flips out and my brain has to like, I have to, I go through like this thing where I get on my back and I calm down and all that. And then once I'm calm, it's fine. But I had years of swimming lessons and still can't get over that feeling. Um, and then I died on the operating table. It became a more complicated surgery and than it was intended to be and... Something went amiss, and I heard the flat line, and then I was standing next to the nurse. There was two nurses and the doctor. I was standing next to the one nurse, and I could see my body, plain as day. Out-of-body experience. Yeah. 
But I, I mean, I wasn't upset. I wasn't mad. I wasn't, oh crap, I didn't see the light. Nothing. It was all very calm. They were freaking out. But I knew that they were going to get it together and that I would be right back in there. So I was completely calm. And um, they did, in fact, do what they needed to do. The last thing I remembered was being back in my body, looking at the doctor, them kind of smacking me around a bit. And he says, we lost you there for a minute. And then I was out again from the anesthesia, presumably. So that was interesting. Am I afraid to die? No, I'm not because I don't believe anybody dies. I'm a firm believer in reincarnation because of the experiences I've had myself and just conversations and just other experiences. And then um, I, I think I would be annoyed because I have things to do. But then sometimes I feel... Wait, when you were dead, you would be annoyed? Yeah. I'd be like, damn it. Like, if it. you're saying, like, if you died right now, I'd be that'd be really annoying. It'd be annoying. Because you have things to do. You yeah. just, you're into the podcast. You're doing yeah, this already. I got stuff to do. Yeah, but yes. But then again, some days I think, oh, sweet relief. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm tired. What a nice nap that would be. Yeah. You know? I, I have all sorts of thoughts around it, for sure. Um it's funny because in medical questionnaires, they always say, have you ever contemplated... They always say, have you ever... I had a dermatology appointment the other day. And one of the questions, have you ever contemplated suicide? And I had what? to chuckle. It's in all, it's on all the questionnaires. And I laughed to myself because I thought, who hasn't? <laughs> you know, in varying degrees. But of course, I always check no because I don't want to be carted off somewhere. But right. I just think it's a funny thing to ask people. Like, oh, are you alive? You've probably right. thought about it at some point in your right. life, you know? When a boyfriend, you're like just, in your 20s and a stupid boyfriend. Not, is, not even that, just the idea of like, this is exhausting. I'm very in touch with my shadow side though, so maybe that's helpful. But to answer the question, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not trying to grease the wheels either, you know? And when you die, mm, I will haunt if you. I'm still good. Yeah. That was going to be my question. I told my dad yes. that because he doesn't believe in reincarnation. He, you know, it's funny. We have these really intense, deep conversations. I love it. And uh, the older we both get, the more open he's getting, which is pretty hilarious. So I said to him, you know, when you, when you pass away, please, I give you permission. Please. Come back and visit me. Yes, because yeah. I don't want the conversations to stop. So Just think of all the... Do cool stuff. Oh my gosh, it'd be so cool. We used to just harass my father. When we were in college, my roommates and I would call him on speakerphone and ask him just the most ridiculous questions like, why can't people and goats have babies? You know, why does my poop float sometimes, but not other times? Why is it, you know, like, (laughs) wait, he, so patient. He would answer all of our questions. It's pretty funny. (laughs) Poor dad. Um, Okay. Um... This might be one of the last ones. Um, what do you use as your yardstick for personal growth? It's about three feet long. No, I'm mm-hmm. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my yardstick for personal growth. How I'm feeling. How I deal with the situation versus how I think I may have dealt with it years prior or months prior. Um, I do believe I'm ever evolving. I think being curious is helpful for that. Um, and being in a moment is also helpful, even if it sucks. Uh, I've come a long way, honestly, from childhood. I think I was always a tall soul. <laughs> um, but I had a lot of things to learn about myself and love. I, I mean, I think the only reason we're here on this planet is to learn to love ourselves, as corny as it sounds, and to le- learn to love each other. 
It starts with ourselves, though. Yes. Um, so I think that's been a big... I'm not always perfect at it. I falter many times, but... Yeah, I think that's my yardstick. It's just how I how I am in a situation. Um, it's a good question. It's the best. Well, it's kind answer. of a, yeah. It's that's kind of a. I mean, I've, don't you think one. over yeah. the years we've changed a lot? Oh yeah, you're more grumpy. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the more I get to know about things, grumpier I get. I know. So I you need to I stop are, learning. You stuff. and I are a perfect combination of friendship, though. I feel like because I'm, you know. I well, I say I don't like people, and and I, and I mean it because I think people are horrible <laughs> to each other. But I love strangers, and I and I want to love people. It's it I, is a love hate relationship. It is with humanity. It really is. It really is. But people don't even believe me when I say I'm shy, and I'm incredibly shy. But nobody believes me. I. It's true though. You might believe yeah. me because you know you know me better than anybody. But anyway. And though I could divulge some deep, dark secrets, I'm not going to on this podcast. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I don't know how dark of secrets I have. I've never killed yeah. anyone, although I've contemplated it. I, I always joke that I'm like a serial killer that hasn't killed anyone yet. Maybe they should put that question on those questionnaires, too, right after the Have you ever killed one. anyone? Or contemplated oh, it. Oh, contemplated. Contemplated, contemplated see, committed suicide, contemplated killing people. Absolutely. At my right yesterday, I actually said to my co-writers, hey, guys, have you ever thought about killing someone like has it ever crossed your mind like how you might do it or anything like that and they thought i would they're like no i'm like never and i knew one of my co-writers <laughs> they're not was telling like, the truth yeah i was like you're not telling the truth you're a human being even mother Teresa, bless her soul i'm sure <laughs> on occasion was like ah oh, fuck i want to kill you lovely little lady that she was <laughs> oh i'm sure she's laughing somewhere yeah i'm sure this question uh kind of Builds on the fact that you are with the whole visual artist thing and then the music thing. Sure. So if this, in this hypothetic scenario, Mm -hmm. if you had to make a choice between either being blind or deaf Mm. for the rest of your life. And now, and of course. I've actually thought about that. And it's more serious now that you've experienced, you know, you've had this many years of seeing and hearing and, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. I think it's different if you're like, if you never had sight or you never had hearing from birth. It's not that yeah, big of a sure. deal to realize. I guess you have I've, to think about what would you miss more. So what would you rather? Such a hard question. I've actually thought of this before um, in my brain pan, as I'm sure many of us have. Um, boy. I think God, I rely so much on what I see. But then I watch these videos online of these great painters who are blind. <laughs> And I think at this, these days, there are so many ways to be able to function. I suppose both ways deaf people can function mm-hmm. with sign language. Oh gosh, it's so hard. Um, I think maybe strangely deaf. I think. Okay. I think I would prefer being, if I had to choose, you know. Um, so never hearing music. Because you can feel music. Yeah. I think that in that case, I could learn sign language and I can feel music. I can go to a club or whatever and and feel that pulsing, so, right. you know, whatever. Um, well, we're going to have to stick together then because mine's the opposite. You would rather be blind. Yes, okay. because okay. I 
do not want to not hear music. Yeah. Well, you, so, ironically, I would say you're a bigger fan of music than I am, which is weird because I do love right. music, but for but me, you it's work what, in music. Well, mine is, right. I, I love the creation part mm-hmm. and I do love great music that moves me and all that kind of stuff, but you are like a diehard music person. I feel like yeah. you've turned me on to tons of music that I was completely unaware of. Part so, of that is I'm much more of a shut-in, even than you, even though you think you're more of a shut-in. I'm working on it. I'm working on becoming more of a shut-in. But, but so, you have a large family that's always around you, which I think gives you stimuli that I'm, especially now that Mikey's passed away, my dog has passed away, he was really my only stimuli. <laughs> so. Well, so that's pretty much it for all of the questions. Um, I don't know if we want to name the people that sent in questions. Yeah, first thank you, name. Thank you, you for their questions. Yeah, okay. Thank you for first um, names, I think. Uh, so we would like to thank... Uh, the letter Z. Well, the, actually, it's the letter K, and then Wayne. It's K, Wayne. Okay. Uh, and then um, Jose, and Christopher, and mm-hmm. Kelly, and Angela, and Melanie, mm-hmm. uh, Andy... Wow. Andy with an I. This is great. Uh, Paul mm-hmm. and Corey. Actually, Paul didn't really send a question. He uh, he put a statement in here. I'll just read it because it's not a question. Okay. But if you want to answer the statement, sure. uh, okay. feel free. Yes. Paul says, uh, I'm just sitting on the bank and watching the river flow. So I don't know if there's something going on with Paul. That <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> when you ask for I'm just sitting on question, the bank and watching, I'm watching the, the river, river flow. flow. So it's not really a question. I think it's a great statement, though. It, I, mean, a, I mean, it's a statement. Isn't that what we're all doing? We're sitting on the bank watching the river flow. Well, in our own way. I guess metaphorically, yeah. Hmm. It was something to think about right there, didn't it? It did. I think everybody, <laughs> I think everybody out there in the world went. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> All right, so that, that's what I got. Thank so you, congratulations on a year's worth of podcasts. We're looking forward to many more years to come. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you, everyone. Um, thanks, everyone, for writing in questions. Thanks, Ellen, for asking the questions. Um, sure. You, would, you took it pretty easy on me. I did. I was kind uh, of, I wasn't, I was uh, ready for if some there's stuff. An, if there's another time uh, that we want to do this and, and get into other things, I think that might be something that we, we can do. I, I just wasn't sure how far we wanted to go. Yeah. All right. Well, now everyone's like, what happened? <laughs> I did not murder anyone. There are, yeah. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, I, what can I say? I'm having a, a blast and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for a great year. Um, well, here's to many more. All right. Bye. <laughs>